I'm going to just say hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. I made it to the chat room. DJ, can you hear me? I can still hear you, sir. Okay. I am prepared to go on uh, when you are. Okay. So let's see. It looks like we've got a handful of folks there in the room. So I think uh, we should be able to start uh, momentarily here. And uh, it looks like we have somebody from the fair city of Oslo with us tonight, although they may not be aware, but hey. <laughs> let's see here. So, all right. Uh, let's see here. We have a Tommy. <gasps> Tommy. We have Tommy. Is it Tommy? Yes, from uh, Fort Maple has come to visit us. All right. Uh, excellent. So for those of you who are listeners of the Smellcast, we do thank you and appreciate your patronage. Uh, I just wanted to take a moment and ask you to look over here, f if you will, please. No. Okay. Now. Oh, uh, my eyes. Okay. So um, forget all you heard in the last few moments of the Smellcast. You, you now forgotten the movie that we're going to talk about and um the dream season of dallas that was real and oh yeah by the way call your mother what do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen a pinch of the golden oldies and a smidgen of streaming it's time for matinee minutia with your host dj and toppy Greetings! This is Tuppy Smelly, reporting live from the Marionette Theater in Spud Flats, New York. I'm your host for this premiere live streaming episode of Matinee Minutia here on the Univaz Network. I bid you welcome in the seat. Next to me is my friend, my fellow podcaster and creator and star of Matinee Minutia, DJ Starsage. A pleasant good evening to you, DJ. Why, good evening, Mr. Smelly. How are you doing this fine evening? I am well. I am super well. So, Mr. Smelly, um, what brings you out here this evening? You, you asked me to meet you here for some reason. I, I've heard of this place before, but I've actually never stepped inside uh, what goes on well, here? Uh, nor have I. This is the Marionette Theater. Historic, by the way. Historic Marionette Theater in Spud Flats, New York. It's a lovely uh, turn-of-the-century uh, movie house uh, that was originally uh, a, a venue for vaudeville. And then when the motion pictures came in, they put up a screen. And then, of course, we had a DJ. We had the talkies. And uh, and here we are today, all these years later, this theater has been saved from obscurity by the Spud Flats Historical Society. And he here we are. Uh, it's the home of our new little shoe, and it's called Matinee Minutia. You know, I think I've heard my Grandma Maggie talk about the, the talkies. Weren't those the, the early movies that came out just after silent films? Just after silent films, we're talking 1930, 1931, DJ. And yes, indeed, those talkies, 
just changed everything in the motion picture industry. Oh, and we have our old friend Maren here. She is uh, often a guest for Pod Cubs on Thursday nights. DJ, have I got something to show you? Oh boy, no, I, I seem to recall you did have a reason for calling me here tonight. And uh, you said there is something special that you wanted to show me? Absolutely right. In this bag are, are coins, DJ, but, but, but not just ordinary coins. No, uh, in this bag are coins, well, we can say possibly magic coins because uh, they were left behind by a magician who performed here many, 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 many years ago. Uh, on the vaudeville circuit, because that's how old this theater is. Uh, before uh, the the silent movies, uh, the, the, it was a, a vaudeville stage, and this magician performed here. And uh, uh, the I came across uh, a bag of these coins left behind long ago uh, by this magician, and uh, I think they're magic. And I I just want to find out. This is an experiment. I want to find out what happens. You see this gumball machine next to us? Oh, yeah. I remember seeing those as a kid. I haven't seen one in a while. Yeah. Well, I had it brought over. Uh, it's going to it's gonna be sitting here uh, for every episode. And see this coin? I just put, I'm going to put this coin in. Let's see what happens. You ready, DJ? Don't blink. Yeah. See that? Oh. See that? Look at this thing. That's a little capsule. I'm going to open it. There we go. And uh, DJ, there's a little piece of paper in here. And uh, what I want you to do is uh, open that up. And it's going to tell us a little bit about uh, what's going to be happening here today on the first episode of Matinee Minutia. Oh, well, in this little paper here, it says today's show is going to involve a film the late 60s of the science fiction genre. Ooh, maybe it's 2001. DJ, I think it's time we went over to the snack bar. Well, uh, DJ, this is uh, Gertie. Uh, uh, Gertie, this is uh, DJ Starsage, my friend, uh, uh, and the star of uh, Matinee Minutius. Uh, uh, say hi, DJ. Hey, Gertie, how are you? I'm just fine. How are you? I'm doing pretty all right. And what do you got here for us? Looks like you got a few things set out for this movie. Yeah, yeah, got a lot of things here. They're kind of like related to this movie from the 60s. Science fiction, don't you know? Hmm. All right, Gertie. Uh, well, uh, let's take a look at this first thing. Uh, it's a, uh, a bottle of, uh, what would you say, uh, DJ, is that blue or purple liquid? What is that? Huh. Well, it's it's certainly interesting. You know, when you hold it up to the light here, yeah. it's, oh, I, I, I'm not sure I want to taste that. It smells kind of funny. Oh, really? All right. So uh, apparently in this movie... Uh, there's some kind of liquid. Uh, and what's this, uh, 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 Gertie? Well, what do you think it is? I don't know. It looks like a hookah. Uh, DJ, I dare you uh, to, to suck on that. Oh, um, no, I, I, I asked. I have to work in the morning. Oh. oh. All right. Uh, so a hookah. A hookah and purple drink. And uh, what's this here, Gertie? 
What does it look like? It's sushi on ice. Oh, uh, DJ, what do you think that? What about that? Mm, that's kind of interesting. It's laying there, but it it's not your typical sushi. It looks kind of like one of those those manta rays. Like it's gonna, you know, uh, take you for a ride, like you're on a uh, like a sled or something. Uh, there's a clue for you. All right. Um, well, uh, Gertie, do you got anything else for us? I don't know. Should I? <laughs> no, you're fine. Uh, Gertie, uh, let me ask you a, a question. Uh, how long have you been working at the theater here? I don't know. A million years feels like. Okay. Uh, have you always been behind the concession stand here? No. Oh, uh, um, well, what did you do before that? Well, I don't know. A really long time ago, during the vaudeville days, I used to do kind of a, well, kind of a, Strip tease act. Really? DJ, what do you think about that? Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I think we need to uh, call her a cab. I think she's ready to go home. Uh, yeah, keep your clothes on, Gertie. All right, uh, DJ, uh, we've got some clothes here. Uh, what say we uh, announce the uh, name of the movie we're going to be presenting trivia for today? Alrighty, folks. Well, as we step through back through the doors here into the auditorium and grab our seats, uh, sit tight because we are going to be watching the 1968 science fiction film with Jane Fonda, Barbarella. Barbarella. All right, folks, Barbarella, the Guardian website hails Barbarella as Mr. Rogers, as Jesus Christ, as Marilyn Monroe, the sex bomb who will bring about world peace while reassuring you that you'll never go down the drain. In the far-flung future, five-star double-rated astro-navigatrix Barbarella is chosen by Earth's president to find escaped mad scientist Duran Duran. Yes, I said Duran Duran, who has created the ultimate weapon of war. The dreaded positron ray, which threatens to destroy the loving union of the universe. Barbarella tracks down Duran Duran to the frozen planet of Lithium, where the pure and innocent have been and begins a dangerous journey to save the universe. Along the way, Barbarella makes friends and enemies with natives of Lithium, rediscovering ancient forms of lovemaking long since discarded by Earthlings, and simultaneously fending off more wicked sexual desires from the free, most evil inhabitants of Lithium. And there you go. That is uh, the recap of the film which was released in October of 1968 it cost about 9 million it returned 61,000 million <laughs> uh, it tops uh, the top films of that year that were released uh, was 2001 A Space Odyssey and Funny Girl released that same year mm, two very different movies yes dj what was happening in the world of 1968 
1968, which was the year before the Summer of Love, President Lyndon Johnson committed a record number of troops to Vietnam. The Civil Rights Act, uh, which prevented housing discrimination, was passed, and the assassination of Robert Kennedy led to uncertainty in the Democratic nomination for presidency, which some say led toward a Richard Nixon win. Very good. Uh, Barbarella is based on a French comic book by Jean-Claude Forrest. It was published in 1962 originally, and it was uh, one of the first mainstream pornographic comic books. I believe we should <laughs> skip forward and uh, and just acknowledge the folks that have showed up for the premiere episode and are being incredibly patient. We have George in Atlanta, Maren Gertz, I hope I pronounced that right, Shy Yeti, Spanking Beerther, Spuff. And Tommy, all joining us in the chat room. Thank you so much for showing up. And I, DJ, let's just pick it up with why this film is significant, why we've chosen it, and uh, why it still is iconic even today. Just for example, uh, this movie has had far-reaching uh, effects on on filmmaking, visually. Uh, I remember when Superman the movie came out, a lot of the special effects at the beginning of the film that depicted traveling through space are right out of Barbarella. And what I mean by that is in the 60s rock shows, uh, they did a psychedelic kind of show of uh, these liquids bubbling around. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, it was sort of like a psychedelic slideshow that was moving around, and they would splash different oils and water uh, around and project it onto a huge screen. It would have this pulsating uh, visual effect. Um, and uh, that was uh, Superman 2. I mean, Superman the movie used some of this aesthetic. So did Flash Gordon 10 years after Barbarella. Uh, um, Flash Gordon had the soundtrack by Queen and uh, a lot of the aesthetic that you see in that movie uh, is right out of Barbarella and coincidentally by the same producer Dino De Laurentiis yes and uh, coincidentally or perhaps not so coincidentally Jane Fonda the lead in this film just so happened to be married to him <laughs> When she got the part. <laughs> Married to the film's director. Who uh, also was previously married to uh, uh, famed actress Bridget Bardot. Yes. And this it goes down in history as the only science fiction film that Jane Fonda starred in. And of course... This was a uh, an early part of her career because shortly after she became much more involved in um, ideology and feminism. So, um, you know, early days for her and looking back on things, probably the, not the most, uh, you know, uh, non-stereotypical role because, of course, as you were saying, this comes straight out of the pages of a pornographic science fiction comic. 
Right. And uh, there is just every little bit of chauvinism and sexism in this, even though uh, in its defense, you know, this was a period of, of free love. So, of course, it, it may not have been a deliberate uh, effort at chauvinism, more of a, you know, the, the body is beautiful, so it does not need to be hidden. So, of course, you have all of this imagery in here. In fact, even the ship, which looks like a pencil sharpener on its side. I mean, no one involved in designing spaceships created Barbarella's ship. It looks like a pencil sharpener on its side. And yeah, it's, that has three clitorises. Yes. <laughs> that pulsate. <laughs> Uh, the budget was a little on the low side, and uh, the 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 designers of this movie uh, really came up with a lot of unique imagery and sets and props, uh, and they did it quite fast, and uh, they're all quite memorable. The sets are all super weird. Uh, consider one of the first scenes of Barbarella being towed across the frozen planet, uh, this frozen lake, by what looks like a manta ray. And it looks like she's water skiing on the ice being towed by a manta ray. A unique visual image, if there ever was one. And the movie's filled with them. Yes, and what struck me, uh, aside from just the mere fact that she's you know, laying face down on the ship, uh, for the viewer's benefit, of course, in a room that's filled with shag carpets so much that it looks like Larry Hagman's shag van. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He was a notorious womanizer. And, um, you know, uh, as soon as she crash lands on the planet, she is abducted to, by uh, one of the, I think, one of the first instances instances of creepy twins on film, because it's not until much later before you get the creepy twins from The Shining. <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they're just brunette, that's all. And uh, f- uh, for reasons that uh, we really can't, <laughs> that aren't really immediately clear, these uh, girls and the inhabitants sick these uh, dolls with sharp teeth on Barbarella after she's uh, tied up. And in something that's close to gruesome, the dolls start biting chunks of skin out of Barbarella. And that's right at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> so I don't know what that was about. It uh, you know it, it's fitting that this is uh, in theaters around the same time that the original Star Trek is on television because it reminds me of some of the other stories that took place on there. There was an episode where uh, you know there were sort of abandoned slash derelict children that they find on this alien planet, and none of them grow to adulthood because there's a mysterious illness. And this planet that Barbarella crashes on, I think it was called the 16th planet of Tau Ceti. Um, You know, it, it had all of these young people there. And then what's even more disturbing besides the, the uh, you know, um, uh, blatant sexuality is the fact that these children are um, rounded up 
when they're of age, and then they're taken to the city called Sogo, which apparently is an amalgamation of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. And uh, this is just, uh, we're, we're going to have to flash far ahead, DJ, because uh, we're so late because of all the technical snafus. Mm-hmm. But one of, the, one of the aesthetics of this movie is if you think of Playboy magazine and you think of little Annie Fanny, that wonderful little cartoon that used to run in it, that's the kind of nudity uh, that this movie had in places with Jane Fonda, her breasts were exposed, uh, at least in the original cut. Uh, many of the prints are censored, so if you've seen it and there wasn't any nudity, it's because they cut it out. Uh, but it's sort of like, I would say, tasteful nudity where you barely see any pubes, the breasts are visible, and it's sort of coy and innocent. And certainly the character of Barbarella herself is that she doesn't really understand the sexuality that she possesses. And she's quite innocent. And although heroic, doesn't really do anything in the movie as far as what you would see in today's uh, heroic females where they're literally throttling the hell out of the villains and throwing them over the shoulders and punching them in the throat. Uh, Barbarella is much less confrontational. <laughs> she carries some old weapons from earth and she points them and does shoot them. Uh, but sh- there's no fisticuffs in this movie with Jane Fonda. And yes, George in Atlanta asks in the chat room, is this movie considered a cult classic? I would say absolutely. Uh, it, it certainly is uh, by many standards and many circles considered a cult classic. I would have to agree because I remember this being shown on television, which ironically, I think it might have been TBS at the time, which was uh, headed up by Jane Fonda's maybe the future or then husband Ted Turner yeah. and um, my dad uh, you know who grew up uh, just after the depression was concerned about what I might see on television even though you have to censor things for TV so I was not allowed in the room when dad was watching Barbarella I, I can imagine TBS no doubt <clears throat> showed a very highly censored version of this movie Um uh, so going back to the 60s when uh, this movie was coming out, Jane Fonda was doing movies in America, uh, which were v- very standard movies uh, that were still just barely in the old Hollywood uh, system before it disintegrated. And at the same time, she was go going over to France to make these other movies, which were far and away from what Hollywood was doing. And she did it because her husband was French, and uh, Vadim is his last name, and he's the director of Barbarella. And um, they had a very untraditional marriage. Uh, when they were married, uh, this this was the time of free love and experimentation. And Jane Fonda herself says she got into it without exactly knowing what she was asking for. And uh, her husband wanted basically, uh, well, to have an open relationship and to be able to make love with other women. And um, 
Oddly enough, uh, when Jane Fonda said, well, can I do that too? Uh, her husband sort of said, no. <laughs> oh. Anyways, in fact, she did, and they both did. And this uh, Europe was a very, France at this time was very different from the U.S. of A. And they were doing movies like this, and it wasn't uncommon uh, for movies like this to be produced there. Uh, what is uncommon is that they ever saw the light of day in the United States. Um, but I think because Jane Fonda was starting to become known uh, in in American theaters, <clears throat> I think that helped pave the way for this to be released, which it actually was released right before the um, the XX and R-rated system came about, and and they they just suggested that this movie was for for uh, mature audiences. Absolutely. Now, quick aside, um, you know, when Barbarella came out, as we said, it didn't really rake it in at the box office. However, it has another important franchise in sci-fi uh, genre to thank for a resurgence. After Star Wars came out, they decided, let's cash in on this. And then they recut Barbarella, editing out a lot of the scenes that were... Uh, included overseas, and it became the copy that we all have available to us now, Barbarella, Queen of the Galaxy, which, uh, uh, on the uh, the note of it uh, being inappropriate, at the time it was released in 68. I don't think there was a rating system, no. so it was technically unrated, but one of the mistakes in the printing of the copies nowadays is that it was given a PG rating. Uh, the the release after Star Wars was rated PG. And I believe that went out without uh, the, the nude scenes. Uh, Marin, Marin Gertz uh, asks, uh, states that uh, Jane Fonda didn't think a lot about this movie, and that's absolutely true. Uh, she, in her heart of hearts, was not super thrilled about her marriage and this open relationship. And she wasn't super thrilled about this movie and the way it was being written. And the way it was being written was on the fly. They freaking made the script up as they went along on this movie. They had their basic concept, but daily they were rewriting the thing. And she was not happy. She was pretty tired of it. And by all accounts, Jane Fonda did not enjoy the experience of making this movie at all. Um, she was a willing participant. And she was experimental enough at the time to believe that she could pull something like this off. But the reality was this movie was not pleasant for her experience yeah and a lot of the comparisons that i've read about the uh, film versus the comic is just as you were saying where in the comics uh she was much more of a heroine where she you know would go into the fray and she would uh you know defend herself not just be the pretty face and the the uh the free love and willing body in fact um it seemed like every time you, you know, bat, you closed your eyes for a moment, 
she was negotiating a new deal and uh <laughs> i don't mean at the uh at the um negotiating table <laughs> right um well to speak of of some of the ways this movie was perhaps innovative in the way that it presented women and sex and free love is we'll we'll just jump to the climax of the movie because of the lateness of the hour mm -hmm. there's a scene in which jane fonda as barbara was put into this contraption that's sort of like a piano and if you can imagine the back of the piano being lifted up and jane fonda being stuffed in there and then it's closed and then there's uh, the villain Duran Duran playing this keyboard, which uh, seems to be stimulating Jane Fonda inside this contraption. And he is furiously, I mean furiously, playing this piano, basically trying to make Barbarella have a climax. She's sort of enjoying it. She's in the machine. She doesn't really know what's going on. She can feel things. but uh, And she's sort of going, oh, hmm. Oh, but she never reaches climax. <laughs> and this guy is trying his hardest, uh, which is, this is a particularly male point of view um, that uh, uh, apparently Vadim, uh, the husband, thought this would be a good thing to put in. Like how, how hard it is to get a, gun, a woman to come which is basically what the scene was saying. <laughs> and she never does. She never does have a climax. Oh, but it's, uh, it, it burns the whole machine out. <laughs> yeah. It sets it on fire. The machine is so overworked trying to get Jane Fonda off that it basically explodes. And that's one of the last scenes in the movie. And, but, but uh, Duran Duran has such a great line when he fails to do her in, he steps up and he goes over to her and he's basically like, what did you do? You are a horrible woman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, he basically blames her for not having an orgasm when, you know, obviously it's the man's fault. And so he gets angry with her, you know, and, uh, for blowing up his machine. And, and, you know, on the same note there of the, um, the sexism, of the the roles there um there there is a scene where you know she's been having casual sex with several men throughout the movie as a means of negotiating in a way and uh you know she she portrays herself as being uh you know an evolved person our society has moved past this because you know they have these magic pills and she finally finds somebody towards the end of the movie who wants to experience these pills and do you want to explain what happens to the listeners well um uh yeah i mean they they uh, she reluctantly has has sex the way earthlings have sex in this present day. And it's all, it's basically this very artificial means. They, they uh, put the palms of their hands together. They take a pill and, um, and then, you know, the magic happens. They don't even have to disrobe. This is all done with clothes on. It's kind of cold. Um, and uh, they put their hands together and, um, DJ, I may not explain this right, so take over the explanation of, <laughs> well, of the, what happens. Here. Oh well, the the wonderful thing is, is that you know while the uh, the villain of the film is trying to do her in, and he's amazed by her tolerance. On the flip side of things, where it might be a, a stereotype that uh, you know the 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 man finishes before the woman. In this scene where she's met up with Dildano, who's uh, a member of the rebellion, 
Um, she actually ends up finishing before him. And right. it's just an amazing scene because both of their hair, ha- both of their hairs have been curled just to, you know, give you the, the illusion that they've, uh, finished off and he's just standing there and it's he's gyrating without her because she's broken contact and he's like help me out here i'm not done yeah (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, another character in the movie is a man with wings and uh, and his story is that uh, he's a man with wings who happens to be blind and he can no longer fly he believes he's been injured but another character confidentially tells Barbarella, hey, he really can fly. It's all in his head. Barbarella and the angel have sex, and miraculously, the angel rediscovers that, oh, he can fly after all, and he joyously spreads his wings and flies. There's That's another uh, – that's a little bit about male impotency and um, – uh, and you know what can happen to men when they just believe they've lost the ability, but uh, Barbarella magically uh, gets them through. Um, DJ, while we've got time, mm-hmm. let's talk about some of the visual aspects of the movie and the marvelous, I think, marvelously inventive sets that they had. DJ. Yes, I'm here. Sorry. Okay. Um, well, I mean the the uh, the spaceship itself is just uh, quintessential of the time. I mean, um, you've got shag carpeting all over the place, and uh, you know, of course, all sorts of uh, representations of the technology of the time. You know, you've got uh, plastic this and plastic that. I mean, even parts of her her uniform or plastic you you know you get that little window where you can well see her nipple (laughs) yeah for example one costume has uh some sort of transparent cellophane or plastic covering her boob and so one boob is exposed you can see through the costume um there's a a lot of costume changes for barbarella they're all most unusual and colorful and there's and Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, there, there were supposedly seven that were counted, and most of them had an explanation, but uh, one of them where she woke up in the nest with the angel, uh, apparently she had another outfit change, but it wasn't explained. <laughs> yeah, it just sort of appeared. Um, a lot of the um, sets that depicted the city where all of this was going on have a very, very unusual look uh, that uh, you can just tell they did the most with what little they had. And, um, but the results, I think, I mean, when you look at it, it ain't a high budget flick, but you got to admit the props and the settings are super inventive. Uh, I don't think an American crew could have achieved this. And I read somewhere they say that uh, a lot of the sets were inspired by The Wizard of Oz. I can see that. I can see that. A lot of strange alien landscapes. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
again, I just remind you, uh, more recently, people have probably seen Dino, Dino DeLaurentiis' production of Flash Gordon, the one with the soundtrack by Queen. And if you recall that sort of, it had a kind of a comic booky reality that was not real like Star Wars. It it somehow had a different level. Uh, it 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 was there, but it sort of seemed campy. It sort of seemed a little hokey. Well, that is exactly the style that Barbarella uh, kind of captured. Maybe I might even say invented. It certainly has inspired a lot that has followed since. I mean, uh, you know, you've had many characters that were created sort of in that vein. And it was at least, I think, about 20 years later uh, that a new generation of nerds and fans had seen Barbarella and imitated some of the, the scenes that were in this film. Of course, you have the opening scene where she is disrobing in front of the camera in zero G. And uh, the movie that I'm speaking about is none other than the film with Kim Basinger and Dan Aykroyd, My Stepmother is an Alien. And it's just a wonderful scene because Kim Basinger is sent to Earth to find out uh, what happened, that they had the capability of sending the signal to disable her homeworld when we're supposed to be primitives and she is disrobing in zero G and uh, it, it just, you could compare the two side by side and it looks like a total homage to Barbarella. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, boy, I'll be damned. There's, there's another reference in more modern the uh, movies to that, but I, I'm not recalling it at the moment. Um, uh, let's sort of wrap up the discussion uh, and and saying that uh, we can't say that this is a great movie by any means, but historically, in terms of the history of Hollywood, where Jane Fonda was at the time, um, what her real life was like, and the imagery of the movie... Um, and where Hollywood was going at the time, I just think historically it's very interesting and aesthetically it's very interesting to see the sets and that very late 60s free love kind of shtick that was parodied, that's the movie I'm thinking of, that was parodied a lot by Mike Myers' Austin Powers movies. Oh, yes, certainly. Especially with uh, characters like the Fembots. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, uh, that uh, Those three movies by Mike Myers, Austin Powers, had, I mean, that's the whole feel of Barbarella. The whole feel of, of those movies was originated there, began with Barbarella. GJ, what what uh, final thoughts do you have, if any? <laughs> uh, well, like I said, you know this this was um, don't want to spend a lot of time on on the the differences in generations because, of course, um, I I think that you were probably not quite in college when this came out. Am I right? Oh my goodness, me? Yes. No, no. Uh, I was a mere child. Okay. When this movie came out. <laughs> um, but uh, 
now that you mention it, my first exposure to the movie was when I was in college. Ah, probably and, after the Star Wars fame. Well, certainly, but one of the things I'll always be thankful about where I went to college was that they had an awesome film program. And they would have, um, they would cultivate and solicit movies uh, from st a star. For example, they did Jane Fonda, and they had many of her movies throughout the years. And one of them was Barbarella. But because of this film program, uh, in college, I was exposed to so many movies that I never, ever, ever would have seen Barbarella being one of them. And it, 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 it increased my understanding of movies and cinema, uh, greatly. I mean, it just, it exposed me to so many different kinds of movies. I'll always be thankful for that. But yeah, Barbarella, I first encountered when I was in college hmm. so yeah i i see this as a, a movie that my my dad probably would have seen you know in in his uh bachelor days before getting married and of course uh you know not having seen it uh in a few years he probably didn't think oh it's on tv they probably you know would have cut out all the naughty parts but then again my mother was a nurse who voted for reagan so uh, that probably wasn't going to be on her television. <laughs> probably. Uh, let's just mention some of the other things that Jane Fonda went out to do, went on to do in later years. Uh, in 1969, uh, she appeared in Clute, K L U T E, in which she played a call girl in a film noir detective movie. And she won the friggin' Academy Award for it. It was a stunning performance. So real. Uh, so real did she play this character of Brie Daniels uh, that uh, she won the Academy Award for Best Actress. And she went on to do a lot, a lot more before she sort of retired from acting. And uh, only recently in the last decade has she returned uh, doing some movies and she's in a TV series. And of course, she's had so many marriages. Uh, one to the uh, the head of TBS. What's his face? I can't remember his name. Um, and she, of course, did that iconic series of exercise movies or videos uh, that she made a fucking fortune off of. And uh, she was, she was when she made Barbarella certainly she she looked very good but by her own admission she was bulimic she was forcing herself to throw up she barely ate anything and she exercised uh compulsively to maintain a figure and uh jane fonda says it was rough and not pretty and it was a long long time for her to to reconcile her body and her self-image and how to stay healthy in Hollywood, uh, keeping a figure and looking young. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that while she was, uh, you know, partly famous in the seventies and eighties for her fitness videos, 
Um, more recently, celebrating her senior years, she has introduced another line. So if you uh, know of a senior that needs to get in shape, you know, look that up because I've heard that they're pretty good. Yeah. Well, Jane Fonda has written a lot about her life. And let's face it, it's a, a life that's, you know, how old is she now? She's in her 70s. Uh, actually, uh, Moren says that she's 80. Okay, I believe it. Mm-hmm. So she's had a long career, and uh, she's certainly been in politics and on the scene, and she's had a, a very fascinating life. Of course, she's the daughter of the uh, iconic American actor Henry Fonda. Her brother is Peter Fonda of Easy Rider fame. So there's a lot to talk about when it comes to Jane Fonda. I think that uh, we should start a tradition right here with our first episode and just give a rating uh, to um, to this movie. And I think we'll just do one through five. Uh, well, I think we'll do one through five biting dolls. Oh, what a good idea. So I would have to say... And uh, it should be noted that I am quite a fan of these uh, B-movies, as they're sometimes called. They're kind of a pop culture favorite, as it were. Um, On a scale of one to five, I give this three biting dolls. Now, if this were in a bargain bin and I had a choice between this and, oh, I don't know, an Adam Sandler movie, I'd probably pick this, but it's still a three out of five. Three out of five. Very good, DJ. Um, Well, I'll throw my two cents in. I I also am going to give it a three out of five biting dolls. I'll tell you why. Um, It's interesting that we saw this today. Uh, We're in the midst of a a particular time uh, in our history of the uh, uh, um, shit. We're going to have to do an edit here. Okay. Is it the not me movement? Oh, me too. Oh, thank you. Jesus Christ. All right. Let's start over. Uh, We're in the midst of a particular time in uh, our history here uh, in the U.S. of A., particularly with the the recent nomination to the Supreme Court, um, also with the Me Too movement. Um, And here we are with this movie that depicts... Um, sexual liberation from a very male point of view because uh, Jane Fonda, the sex kitten, in every scene is presented as what a male, uh, this the sexual liberation a male would want uh, out of a female, and uh, we have to uh, we have to understand that this movie is a product of its time. And uh, there was a sexual liberation movement going on in the 60s. And perhaps uh, it was male-centric the whole time. But uh, we certainly see Jane Fonda as the sex kitten that men want to see. We really don't get a picture of what uh, the character of Barbarella would like to see in terms of sexual liberation. So, um, all in all, I like it because uh, it's a it's a, got a great comic book feel. Uh, the s- sets are great. The production is so inventive. 
as far as the props and everything. Um, so current morals notwithstanding, um, I think it's worth seeing, and I also give it uh, the three chomping dolls. In preparing for tonight's episode, Toppy asked for me to uh, make a list here of some of my favorite Jane Fonda films. And uh, I would have to say that among my most favorite is, of course, the iconic 1980 film, Nine to Five. I mean, she was in that with Dolly Parton and Lily Tomlin. You can't ask for better cast. And, um, and then later on, she was in a film with uh, black comedian Wanda Sykes. And that was called Monster-in-Law, and it's just a terrific movie. Most of you will know lines from 9 to 5, but Monster-in-Law, she is the mother-in-law-to-be of the lead character played by Jennifer Lopez. And at one point, Wanda Sykes says to her, uh, I thought that I should be worried about you, but you don't need a gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, and then lastly, an honorable mention, um, Jane Fonda was in a 2007 movie with uh, Disney-famed actress, uh, now troubled starlet, uh, Lindsay Lohan, in a movie where, uh, called Georgia Rule, the grandmother is expected to take in the problem child of the family who's gone out on her own, so... Uh, look up Georgia Rule from 2007 if you'd like to see the legend Jane Fonda with a recent star, Lindsay Lohan. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I can't help but not uh, think of her role in On Golden Pond, in which she played Henry Fonda's daughter, which she is in real life. Uh, on Golden Pond... Um, Jane Fonda is lovely and uh, and it's a beautiful movie that was done right before Henry Fonda died and Jane Fonda credits that movie with with just <clears throat> a lot of healing that went on between her and her father and uh, let's just say that uh, father and daughter did not have an easy uh, life together my other little movie uh, that I love from Jane Fonda is um, uh, the movie. Um, I can I can't think of the title. All I want to say is the the apocalypse, but it's the it's the one with Jack Levin in the goddamn uh, um, nuclear power plant. Oh, what the, the hell is it called? The uh, the China syndrome. The China syndrome. Thank you. Uh, which happened to open the exact weekend that a, a nuclear power plant in Pennsylvania, Two Mile Island, had a nuclear power accident that at first seemed just too much like the plot of this movie. And the real-life Two Mile event and the movie The China Syndrome, uh, it was just too bizarre to be real. DJ, we're going to use those magic coins again, pull out another little capsule uh, from the gumball machine, and I'm going to put the coin in. All right, here we go. 
All righty. This is going to give us a clue as to our next subject, DJ. Let me open the capsule. All right. DJ, read what it says. This says that the next program we're going to enjoy is a television series that ran from 1957 to 1966, and it was a legal drama. I already have some thoughts, DJ, but we won't reveal the true answer until when. Well, for those of you who want to keep close tabs on Matinee Minutia, please feel free to drop by our website at Matinee Minutia. And I'll need to spell that for you because it's a complicated word. Minutia is M-I-N-U-T-I-A-E. Minutia.wordpress.com. And look for the hint section there. Now, if you tune in after you've listened to the show, we will reveal the uh, topic for our next episode at the beginning of the next week. Now, fair warning, if you don't want to know before you come to the next live show, do not look for the spoiler hint. All right. So, uh, in other words, kids, there's two ways you can play this. It depends on you. If you want to get in on the next topic and watch uh, what we're going to be watching, then look for those uh, that secret answer that's going to be revealed on the website. If you'd rather not know anything and just come in blind, uh, that's an option too. Either way you want to play it, we've got it covered for you on Matinee Minutia. Folks, it's nine o'clock. We don't want to hold you longer than an hour. Okay. Uh, so, DJ, what's going to be coming up? All right, folks. So we are going to have this episode available for your listening pleasure in its entirety shortly. And um, with a website available uh, at presidents, uh, matinemanusha.wordpress.com. We're going to get a domain for you guys. But... Stay tuned. Our next episode will be in two weeks, and that will be on Friday, October 12th. Good night, folks. Thank you for joining us. I- Thanks for tuning in to Matinee Minutia. Our show is live every other Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Stop by univospods.net, click the tower for streaming audio, and enter Discord for chat. Follow us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Have a comment, question, or a suggestion for a topic? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. And of course, you can visit our website at matineeminutia.com. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net.